Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah, chapter 7. So we have, for the last several sermons of mine, they were broken apart by Steve helping me while I was sick and filling in again. Um, But we have been preparing for the Christmas celebration, which is a true holiday, meaning a true holy day. We are celebrating something holy. And we have been preparing, I will admit, in a bit of an unorthodox way, uh, we have been looking at Old Testament passages that speak to or foreshadow the coming of Jesus. We began by looking at the promise made to King David that from David's lineage would be born one whom God, the very God of creation, would call his own son. He will be a son to me, and I will be his father, which is a remarkable thing to think about. Language that perhaps you and I have grown very familiar with. God is a father. We as his children. Remarkable prior to the work of Jesus on the cross. That God would be the father to a man. And we saw that promise in Samuel and then we looked at um, the gift of, of God in providing for Abraham at the last moment. Abraham was told to offer his son Isaac, his only son, whom he loved, on a mountain in the land of Moriah, the land of Jerusalem. Uh, there is a burnt offering for sin. And at the last moment, God steps in and does not require it of Abraham, which should not surprise us, because in all of God's character, human sacrifice is called repeatedly an abomination. It is forbidden. And so God stops this crazy request that he has made. And for all the years between Abraham and Jesus... There is this lack of clarity as to why God would ever ask Abraham to do such a thing. Until you get to the picture of Jesus, the promised son that God had promised to David, being offered by his father as a sacrifice for the sin of the world in the land of Moriah, on a mountain, a totally consumed burnt offering for sin the very first son of the covenant of God's promise, Isaac, was told to lay himself down on the altar by his father. And the very last son of the old covenant in Christ laid himself down willingly on the altar for us. And then we looked at Exodus and we saw in the institution of the Passover feast. God's work to demonstrate His passion for His Son, Israel. That's what God calls it. His, he calls the nation of Israel His Son, His firstborn Son. Why? Because from the nation of Israel would come Jesus many years later. And in saving Israel, He institutes the Passover whereby the blood of an innocent lamb 
the execution of God's righteous judgment passes over those who by faith and trust in Him put the blood pass over that God's only and the lintel. And it was at the week of the Passover that God's only Son would offer His blood on the beams. He would enter on the day of the selection of the lambs through the sheep gate into Jerusalem. Just as those lambs would spend a week with the families in the homes that had selected them before being offered as a sacrifice, Jesus would spend a week in and among Jerusalem, in and among God's people, with them, with them touching Him and Him touching them, healing and working as the Lamb of God and then be offered at the Passover as a sacrifice for sin. So unconventional passages, certainly, to prepare for Christmas. Totally appropriate passages, certainly, to prepare. Now, the book of Isaiah is an interesting book. Isaiah is somewhat unique among the prophets of the Old Testament. He is very well written. And by that I don't mean that he wrote a lot, which he did. But he is very well written. An educated man who devoted himself to serving the Lord with his education. Isaiah uses more words, and by that I don't mean higher in volume, I mean Isaiah more different words. A broader vocabulary in this book of Isaiah than is found in all the Psalms. Isaiah is poetically and beautifully issuing the promises of God and the warnings of God together, which is something we should take note of this morning as we walk through some passages from the book of Isaiah. The warnings and the judgments of God to his people whom he loves always come with the promises of God as he reminds them why they should serve him and love him and honor him. And so, as Isaiah speaks 700 years before Jesus, he speaks to the southern kingdom of Judah, which is watching the northern kingdom of Israel be conquered by the Assyrians. He speaks to southern kings who don't honor God, by and large, three out of four of them do not honor God. He speaks to these men the warnings about idolatry. In this passage that we begin in in chapter 7, this king that he speaks to, Ahaz, was so terrified that the northern kingdom's enemies, the Assyrians, were going to come and wipe out the southern kingdom of Judah where Jerusalem was. He was so terrified, Ahaz was, that he made all sorts of allegiance an idol nations, and in those allegiances set up an idol in the temple of God to be worshipped in place of God. So Isaiah is speaking words of judgment incessantly against idolatry. He's warning what happens when people forsake God and at the same time he is trying to encourage and strengthen God's people to trust the Lord. Part of that encouragement is a reminder of the promises that God has made. Ahaz 
the kings he's speaking to are kings from the line of David themselves. They are biologically through Mary, legally through Joseph, Jesus' ancestors in the human sense. He's speaking to men from the line of David. And he's reminding them of the promises that God has made to the line of David. And they're not listening. They're not paying attention. And so we pick up in chapter 7. Now you say, well, why don't we begin in chapter 1? You've got to understand, chapter 7 is the start of all of this. If you know anything about Isaiah, chapter 6 is where Isaiah has the vision of the Lord and he sees, and he says, here I am, send me as a prophet. You know? So chapter 7, we pick it up and I'm not going to read all of it to you, but Ahaz is afraid. In verse 2 it says, <clears throat> it was told to the house of David, that's Ahaz, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees are moved with the wind. They were afraid. They'd already watched the northern kingdom suffer. They're afraid. Verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now and meet Ahaz. And he says, skip ahead to verse 7. It shall not stand, these people that are going to come and attack you, nor shall it come to pass. The head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramali. If you do not believe, surely you shall not be established. They're not going to destroy you. They're, this is, he's trying to issue encouragement. Verse 10, moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. So God knows that Ahaz doesn't believe him. He says, ask a sign through Isaiah. You can be in the heavens or in the earth below. Now, Ahaz in verse 12 said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. You ever have somebody say something to you that sounds really spiritual, but it ain't? It sounds real spiritual, right? I'm not going to test the Lord. There's one problem with that, moron. God just said to do it, right? God just said, ask for a sign. No. What kind of moron says no to God? And I use that with the deepest incredulity. What kind of moron says that? He says, I'm not going to ask a sign of God. And look at, look at this. Now, that, again, this is the house of David. And he said, hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And Emmanuel will become the operating principle of all of the promises reiterated in Isaiah. God with us. You don't have faith in God. You don't trust God. You don't believe God. Now you're wearying God, so I'm going to tell you what the sign is. You won't see it. 
It'll be 700 years from now. But I'm going to tell it to the line of David. It's going to be recorded in the prophecies so that everyone can see it and remember. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Now we move ahead and we're going to do this. We're going to turn to pages. We turn to pages and we get to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, Isaiah is mourning the judgment against Emmanuel's land because God is judging the people for their idolatry, for their forsaking him. But it's not a good thing. It's a righteous thing for God to judge, but it's not a happy thing. And he's issuing out these judgments and he's mourning it. Verse, get a flavor of it in verse 6. Inasmuch as these people refuse the waters of Shaloah that flow softly and rejoice in Rezim. And re- they, they rejoice in the gods and in the nations of foreign people and they refuse right worship and honor here. And he's talking about judgment. And look at verse 8. Talking about the enemy. He will pass over all his banks. He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land. O Emmanuel. Who is God talking to? He's talking through Isaiah to Israel. But who is the promised king of Israel whom God is really talking to? This Emmanuel. This child who had been promised in chapter 7. This child is not simply unconsciously waiting to be born. This child is God. His name means God with us and God is talking to him even in these prophecies delivered to Israel. And it carries on in verses 11 and 20, 11 through 22 of Isaiah 8. Isaiah testifies against uh, all of the doubters of God. The second half of this is, you know, all of the people who doubt God. Verse 17, his conclusion, Isaiah's conclusion, I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. I will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders, Ahaz. You didn't want one. We will wait for them. From the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. In verse, or chapter 9 now. Chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her. In other words, we have all the promise of judgment and then the promise of hope. And listen to the shift. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when at first... He lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those were the first lands invaded and conquered. So when at first God lightly esteemed these lands by letting them be judged first, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Do you know what city resides In the land of Naphtali, Nazareth. The Naphtali and and Zebulun, those are tribes with land that is far north and out in the middle of nowhere. Galilee, called Galilee of the Gentiles because it wasn't the most Jewish of places. It was a part of the promised land, but it was kind of the 
despised and neglected part of the promised land, the part that they were happy to cede to the enemy first. We might say it was the new Paris of the state of Ohio. You know, it's, a, it's kind of out there. Whereas first in this judgment, Naphtali, Zebulon, you guys have experienced the pain and the suffering. Behold, in Galilee of the Gentiles, beyond the Jordan, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He's talking about the coming of Jesus. And it's beautiful. The people who walked in darkness, the people who lived in the shadow, whose army's territory lines, the people whose armies and fortresses were on the front line whenever there was an invasion, the people who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, now, this is why I love God's word. What does the shadow of death remind you of? What's that language? It might remind you of Psalm 23. By the way, do you know who wrote Psalm 23? David. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What does Emmanuel mean again? God is with us. Can you see the connection here? Upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. It's talking about the coming of Jesus. It's not talking about the next 10 years. It's talking about the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. According to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for you've broken the yoke of Israel's burden, and the staff on his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Why? Because the warriors won't need them anymore. All the soldiers on the front lines whose sandals make the noise of battle, those hardened pieces, footwear, all the garments blood-stained from battle and war be all cast off and people will throw them in the fire to burn and keep their house warm because they'll never need them again in the fulfillment of the peace that the Messiah promises. It says, as it was in the day of Midian. The day of Midian is the time of Gideon. And Gideon defeated a great host by the power of the Lord with a very small troop. And really, it had nothing to do with his fighting skills, but Gideon's name means warrior. And that's why it's talking about Gideon in the day of Midian. The warrior, it'll be like then when the warrior's garments is no longer needed ever again. This is the ultimate fulfillment at the return of Jesus Christ. This is the peace on earth promised by the angels as they sang at his birth, at his incarnation. For unto us, verse 6, a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How 
This is 700 years before Jesus. How can Israel have missed that the Messiah would be God incarnate? Whenever he's promised here, his name is Emmanuel, God with us. In these verses, the child, the Messiah that would be born would be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Which, when we visited the promises made to David in Samuel, I tried to emphasize, forever is a big word. This is why Jesus was born. Peace on earth as king of kings forever. He died so that he wasn't in that kingdom by himself. He gave his life to forgive you and I of our sin so that we can become citizens of that kingdom. When he comes back, he will establish that kingdom forever and ever. And then the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It's not going to be a vote. Jesus is not going to run for office. He's not going to be voted in. He's not going to be voted out. The zeal, the passion of God will see to this. Period. We have from here many chapters of prophecy and judgment. In Isaiah chapters 11 and 12, we begin to see the promises about the coming king. And, and I don't want to read them all, but if you turn to chapter 11, we can't read them all. But you can see these promises in chapter 11. Again, judgment for a few chapters mixed in with promise. Verse 1 of chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's Jesus. And then the next few verses, 3 to 5, talk about Jesus' righteousness. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. Faithfulness, the belt of his waist. The peace that he'll bring is described, verses 6 through 9. Described metaphorically, described literally. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. The nursing child, verse 8, will play by the cobra's hole. Peace on earth, verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Verses 10 through 13, about the unity of God's kingdom. Specifically, verse 13, the envy of Ephraim will depart, the adversaries of Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not envy Judah, Judah will not harass Ephraim, these two divided kingdoms, no divided kingdom anymore. One people under God. If that sounds like a familiar pledge, maybe you feel the twinge of sadness that I feel when I think of that. The freedom promised in verses 14, 15, and 16 
And then chapter 12, we won't read it. It's a whole chapter of the praise of this. Thank God he's going to do this. Because if the final destination of the world and of politics were left in the hands of men, what a heinous and evil and destructive and exploitive and manipulative world it would be. But that's not the end. So chapter 12. In that day you will say Israel. Oh Lord I will praise you. Though you are angry with me. Your anger is turned away. And you comfort me. Behold God is my salvation. I hope that you are developing. An appreciation for this book. Turn ahead to chapter 25 of Isaiah. All the chapters in between, it moves from praise of God, get this, to promises of judgment on Israel's enemies. They're not going to get off scot-free. See, it's judgment against Israel for their idolatry, promises of the Messiah, but also promises of judgment against Israel's oppressors who are violently mistreating them too. You get to chapter 25. And again, we are looking forward, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. In this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the less, of fat, things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the least. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people. Whoa. Isaiah is saying there is a covering cast over all people. A shroud, if you will. He calls it the veil that is spread over all nations. And you know what a veil is. You can see through it, but it's not the same without it. You can operate, but it's not clear. You can see, but your vision is marred by something, disoriented by something. And here, when the Lord throws this celebration at the inauguration of his kingdom, when Jesus, when Emmanuel, the promised one, throws this celebration, he will destroy on this mountain this veil that all the peoples and all the nations see the world through. What's it talking about? Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. No more death. Death is a veil that mars the way every person and every nation sees the world. Fear of death leads them into conflict. Leads them into greed. Leads them into selfishness. 
leads them into depression and pity and mourning and futility. Leads them to make rash decisions because there is a clock in the back of our minds that begins to tick to tell us we do not have forever. And here, the Messiah destroys the clock. And in doing so, he will wipe away a very revelation-like promise, the tear from every eye. And the clock will no longer tick when you look at your children or when you think of your parents. The clock will no longer tick when you imagine your bank account or you get news from a doctor. This is the promise of the Messiah. This is what Christmas is about. This is what the angels are talking about. Chapter 25 goes on. Chapter 26. Turn ahead. Just turn the pages with me to chapter 40. And after all the judgment and all the promises, Isaiah gets towards the end. We start to focus on the coming of the Messiah. His actual coming. What it will look like. We're not going to read all of chapter 40, but look at verses 3 and following. Tell me if it sounds familiar. First, verse 1 begins, comfort, yes, comfort my people. How? Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked places will be made straight. The rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Who is the voice of one crying in the wilderness? Well, John. And then... We're told of another before the return of Jesus. Saying the same things. Verse 10. Behold the Lord shall come. God is with us. Behold the Lord shall come. Verse 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Does this sound like Jesus? I am the good shepherd. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance, Who's directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? And whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? Jesus was born king of kings. He didn't train for it for 20 years. It's who he is. Then we go into the idols. And we've read these chapters before. We're not going to read them. But it's the, it's the, it's, this is God. And He is magnificent. And you guys want to worship idols? Chapter 41. 
After all the condemnation of idolatry. It's all mixed in the promises. Look at verse 8. But you, O Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Don't worship idols. You whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said, you are my servant. I've chosen you. I will not cast you away. Fear not. I am with you. Emmanuel. Don't worship idols. 42, chapter 42, verses 1 through 3. Again, the rest of the chapter. Don't worship idols. Chapter 42. Behold, I I have written in my margin, a real God. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. Can you hear the Father saying, At Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Can you hear at the Mount of Transfiguration? Shut up, Peter. Listen to him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Behold, a real God! He will bring forth, into verse 1, justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. He's not going to need a $10 million political campaign fund to be heard. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He is gentle. He's not here to hammer people. Look at verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant people, as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my eyes, images. It's the Messiah who's going to do these things. Open blind eyes. Give you as a covenant to the people and a light to the Gentiles. Then, again, I won't read it, but if you move through this chapter, what would you find? God yelling at Israel? No. God pleading, pleading, pleading with Israel to honor Him and to trust Him and not to worship idols that can't save them. Turn to chapter 48. Chapters 45 through 48 are filled with promises. We have been through some of these before on Sunday mornings. I have all sorts of notes in my margins. But we don't have hours this morning. Look at verse 16 of chapter 48. Listen to God plead with His people and soften your heart and listen to God plead with you. Come near to me and hear this. I've not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. 
And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand, the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Do you hear him pleading? What is the pleading leading up to? Four amazing chapters about Jesus. Look at chapter 49. Just the first six verses. Listen, old coast lands, to me. And take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. That's the truth. From inside the womb of Mary, the angel appeared and told Mary and Joseph what the child would be called. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Can you hear the book of Revelation in your mind? One coming and a sharp two-edged sword proceeds from his mouth. The things that I say are from him and cut. In the shadow of his hand, he's hidden me. In the shadow of his hand, God kept his plan for Jesus, clutched, promised, waiting to deliver at a specific time, at a specific place, for a specific reason. And having sanctified us by what he did at the cross, what does Jesus say when his disciples ask, Lord, when will these things take place? He says, no man knows the day or the hour except the Father in heaven. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand and made me a polished shaft in his quiver. He has hidden me like an arrow ready to fire. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, this is prophetically Jesus speaking here. And think of what happened at his first coming. The rejection he experienced. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with Yahweh and my work with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of Yahweh and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. God is so pleased with the work of Jesus. Suffering in rejection at the cross. And prophetically, the Lord saying, it is in vain that I have labored. They have rejected me. Oh, Israel, Israel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you to me like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. 
And the Father, Yahweh, responds to the Son, It is too small a thing that you merely be the salvation of Israel. I will give you as a light to all the Gentiles. You will be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That is amazing to me. Look at chapter 49, six verses. One through six. Oh, we just did, sorry. Fifty. Verse four, four through seven. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word and reason to him who is weary. He awakens me by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from the shame and the spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be ashamed. Chapter 52. Verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, that's Israel and all of their judgments, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations as the priests would cleanse with the blood of the sacrifice. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, nothing to say. For what had not been told them, they shall see. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what they had not heard, they had been revealed. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him, Jesus before the Father, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground from Nazareth in the land of Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles, dry ground, he will grow up. He has no form or comeliness when we see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He's not going to have all of the perfect presentation of our politicians. He will not win people over with persuasiveness. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. Israel, we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, the burnt offering. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. 
Isaac silently carrying the implements of his own execution. Jesus carrying his cross. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Where is the sacrifice? Is that what Isaac asked his father Abraham? Jesus knew. Three times he prayed, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. He knew what was coming. As a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they have made his grave with the wicked. Crucified between two criminals. But with the rich at his death. Buried in a rich man's tomb. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. How can that be? He, God, has put him to this grief. When God, that's you, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise him because by this work he would inherit all the heavens and the earth. That's Philippians 2. He was obedient even in the form of death, death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The cross was the sacrifice and the down payment and the work of the accomplished kingdom. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. I hope the Lord is satisfied when he sees your life as the labor of his soul. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. I'm in that number. I know who Jesus is. I believe that is my only justification. Not baptism. Not how much money I've given. I know and I believe. For he shall bear their iniquities as my sin. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, with the sinners, even though he wasn't one. That's the difference between Jesus and me. I could raise my hand and say, sure. Theoretically, I could say that if it means salvation for other people, my children. I could do that. Theoretically, I could say that. But I am a transgressor. I can't stand in a transgressor's place. If I offer myself up to the judgment of God, I am merely getting what I deserve. But Jesus, He poured out His soul unto death and He was numbered with the transgressors. He stood in their place. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the sinners. Offered himself 
to intercede on your behalf. And the rest is joy. Chapter 54. Do not fear, for you'll not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you'll not be ashamed. Verse 5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts, in his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Verse 7. For a mere moment I've forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. Verse 9, for this is like the waters of Noah to me, for as I've sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I've sworn that I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Judgment now, peace forever. For the mountains will depart, the hills will be removed, but my kindness will not depart from you. My covenant of peace will not be removed. Chapter 55, it's all joy. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for bread that isn't bread and your wages for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight in its abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. That's Jesus. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Jesus, verse 5. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. Jesus. Seek the Lord while he may be found. It's not too late. Turn your heart to the Lord. Call upon Him while He's near. When you die, it's over. Call upon Him now. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man, His thoughts. Let Him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on Him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. 56 verse 3, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, speak saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The sons of the foreigners, that's me. I'm not an Israelite. I don't know what I am, to be honest, but it ain't Jewish. Don't let me look and say to God, I don't have a place. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God, who gathers the outcast of Israel, says, I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. That's me. When I... Read the book of Isaiah. We're out of time. It is promise after promise after promise of the Lord's love through Jesus Christ. This is the anticipation that we are supposed to be clinging to as we 
lead up to the celebration of Christmas. This is the anticipation of Israel as they looked for a Messiah. This is why shepherds got excited. This is why wise men came. This is why people flocked to John the Baptist who said the Messiah was coming. This is why palm branches went down on the sheep selection day as Jesus marched into Jerusalem. This anticipation in Isaiah. Isaiah is quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. Because here, as God speaks to Israel in their darkest days, He tells them of their judgment, which is just, and the promises that He has made. And folks, I don't know if it's your darkest days, but I know this. This is not a great place to live. You have to be on your guard around here. There are people who will loan you money that they know you can never repay and enslave you forever. There are people who will cheat you out of wages that you deserve. There are people who will marry you and promise to love you forever and leave you and never speak to you again. There are children who you can raise honorably who have no regard for you and don't want anything to do with you. There are parents who should love and provide and care who don't want anything to do with their kids. And all around these issues, there are pitfalls of sin and destruction and sickness and death everywhere. And the Lord knows all of that. And this is what He promises. Eternal salvation from all of it. That's not what people want from God. They want immediate salvation from X or Y or Z. That's what Israel wanted. This is what God offers you. This. Eternal salvation through Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. And as we approach Christmas, and next week we turn our attention to the narrative of the Christmas story, that's the anticipation that we need to meet it with. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, you are holy and merciful to not issue judgment against us for our sin that we deserve, but to instead provide forgiveness and salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we owe our allegiance to you let us not go through the motions of a Christmas holiday without the gratitude of the Christmas holiday. And as we celebrate the coming of your son Jesus, give us an eye towards the fulfillment of the promises made at his return. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.